Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Oh, it's Saturday. Um, Saturday, what a day. I've been sick for about a week now, I guess. Almost. Well, when did I succumb? I was sick last Saturday, but you were in okay shape. So Tuesday, Wednesday. Tuesday, or, excuse me, starting Monday, Sunday or Monday, I think you started to feel not so good. So I've yeah, been either horizontal on the couch or in bed this whole time. Yeah, pretty much. You have been helping me when I took your keys away from you to make you rest. You took my laptop away from me to make me rest. I have yeah. needed it. Yeah, that doesn't work because you still have your phone with you. Yeah, yeah but I have phone. put my phone away yeah. and I have been sleeping. It's just that when I get sick, it isn't just feeling bad physically. I get anxious. I get depressed. I get nervous. But I've been so sick this time that when I'm lying down, I am just sleeping. I think that this is just, what is this? It, you're, you know, your immune system gets compromised when you're not eating right, when you're not sleeping well, when you're exhausted, you know. I felt it's almost like the body's way of saying, okay, if you're not going to rest by choice, now you're going to rest forcibly. Yeah, and uh, who knows? I appreciate that, uh, you know, there are other feelings that go along with the illness, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, et cetera, but you can't feel any of those things if you're actually asleep. <laughs> so if you're just physically asleep, mm -hmm. then you have a better chance of getting better. So we ordered some black rifle coffee and we've been drinking it pure cappuccino style. So espresso foamed milk, no water. It is so good. Oh, it's so good, isn't it, Michael? I, I, I'm enjoying it, but I, I don't really, I don't have a sophisticated uh, coffee palate. I love no. McDonald's coffee. I love uh, all kinds of coffee. It's very, very good. Mm-hmm. So, but on love the couch, crystals. we've been watching reruns of Band of Brothers. Reruns? <laughs> Can't call it reruns. <laughs> What do you call it? Well, I'm just saying you're just re-watching On Band demand reruns. We've been watching it again. <laughs> yes. Do you hear the dog scratching on the couch upstairs? Yeah, yeah that's not going to pick up. He's probably... That's definitely Marvin. He's Why does he do that? Nuts. He loves to dig. Anyway, the Bastogne episode where they're so cold... And they're super cold because they're just sitting in foxholes waiting for the battle to start. So that cold plus the nervousness plus the terror, but also plus the boredom. My God. Anyway, I was just saying to you earlier this morning that um, I've <laughs> I feel too sort of weak and tired and sick to I keep trying like oh I keep trying to go take take a nice bath bath or take a nice long hot shower I'm just like sort of washing my face as I'm too tired right and I don't feel well enough to you know get under that hot water or sit in it and then I was thinking about the guys that went through Bastogne and that they would look at me and they would say incredulously you're too tired because you've been in your nice cozy bed or 
couch under a blanket in your house in peacetime for a week to get under a nice hot shower, the likes of which we haven't seen in over a month because we've been sleeping outdoors in the dead of winter in the Ardennes forest for a month in between battles where, you know, enormous bombs are blowing us to bits while we're hunkered down in our foxholes. And you're too tired to go take a hot shower. Yeah, it's all, because, it's all relative. Guess. Because you have the sniffles. <laughs> the sniffles, yeah. Well, I, I lived and got pneumonia, so. He did, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But that must be what got them through was being in it together, the camaraderie. So if I had somebody that had the sniffles with me, maybe I would have find the strength to take a hot shower. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Find the strength, yeah. Well, mm. get a reach deep down in you, I guess, and find that strength to persevere. God, this coffee's good. So, I was reading a book that was recommended in The New Yorker, and it was a list of recommended reading from various stalwart New Yorker magazine critics. Um, just random books that they like. They're not necessarily new or um, noteworthy. Now, what is the name of this? Anyway. Oh, oops. So one of them, I don't know why, you never know, it was a whim purchase, sort of caught my attention, called Seating Arrangements by Maggie Shipstead. Shipstead, Shipstead, I think. S H I P S T E A D. Shipstead. Shipstead. That was probably Maggie Shipstead. I imagine so. Anyway, two things. One, I have to stop saying anyway, in addition to you know. So, working on that one. This book, Seating Arrangements, it's very simple plot line. It's just about this upper middle class family leaning more toward upper than middle, I would say, who have a vacation house on some island on the East Coast. Whenabouts is this happening nowadays? It could be nowadays, yeah. You say back in the day a lot, too. Um, I usually say so back in the day, ironically. Yeah, but you say it a lot, though. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm often... Ironic. What can I tell you? <coughs> Very charming attribute. Mm. Anyway. Ah! ah! Blues. <laughs> it's a really simple book. It's just about this family with some daughters, and one of the daughters is getting married. And the summary of the book was upper middle class family goes to their island vacation home for a weekend over the course of three days you know the whole family unravels but it doesn't really unravel it's just a moment of them surrendering to their less better angels Mm -hmm. I would say and so there's 
two plot lines. There's the plot line that's happening with the adults, and there's the plot line that's happening with the younger people who are all friends of the bride and the groom. And this father, who by any measure, looking at him from the outside in, be a very successful man, well-respected CEO of a company that he inherited from his father. He's done a great job with it. Stable marriage. Who is obsessed with getting into a country club that won't have him. And it's rather pathetic. And it's hilarious. <laughs> and that's it. That's the whole book. Uh, and he has a crush on one of his daughter's friends. And it's a will they or will they not situation there. Because, of course, the daughter knows it, or the daughter's friend knows it. American beauty. So, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Everybody's a little bit older. But it's not, it's not nearly as sinister as, not at all. It's not sinister at all, actually. Um, so, why is this a good book? Why is Maggie Shipstead a good author? Uh, so, then you had asked, so then, well... You had sort of asked me that question, why did I enjoy this book? What kind of books do I enjoy in general? You're not much of a fiction reader. I'm, I'm not good at reading fiction. No, I'm not very practiced at reading fiction. So, uh, no, I, I do not read a whole lot of fiction. But, um, yeah, and, and I think uh, more specifically we're talking about, <clears throat> it had come up uh, a few days ago about, you know, whether you appreciated uh, mysteries. Uh, and I think basically you don't. Uh, like mysteries a whole lot and uh, then just you know kind of expanding on that idea uh, how are you with relatively complicated or you know uh, plot twists or you know versus just kind of simplistic I don't mean that negatively but you know just relatively simple straight ahead um, narratives as some people might say yeah. which is officially <laughs> Verboten on this uh, side, but uh, but yeah, um, how complicated do you like your stories? And also, um, and, and part of that thinking being about you know, as you are reading fiction, do you say, okay, I see where this is going? Um, and I think you said basically you don't. You just kind of go along for the ride. Um, and also by doing that, I guess you never then have that. Oh, I saw this coming or whatever. You you're not necessarily thinking about uh where the story might go and so you're neither surprised nor disappointed uh when things go a certain way but also we didn't talk about this before but you just mentioned uh band of brothers and, and rewatching. um i wondered too with people who really enjoy mysteries uh, is there repeat reading value in in mysteries uh, of the little fiction that i've read i've tended to reread things that i quite like you know, and this time of year is turning really good. It's, it's you know, it's it's Moby Dick time again, that, that sort of thing. But I don't know if people do that with mysteries. Um, you know, if it really is about the kind of, you know, reveal uh, or the, the big surprise or twist ending or something like that, uh, is there a lot of repeat uh, viewing, reading, listening, etc. value in, in that sort of thing? I have never reread a book in my entire life, but I will listen to an album mm -hmm. dozens, if not hundreds of times, uh, or watch a movie that I love over and over and over again. I think it's just because I'm a slow reader, so 
reading uh, just takes a long time, and there's so many books out there to get to. Yeah. Also, when I'm really invested in a book, when I finish it, I sort of grieve that that relationship with that book is ending, and it never really occurs to me that you would reread it. It's almost like repeating a conversation with a friend. Why would you do that? Like like scripted. I, you and I are having a conversation. We're going to record this conversation, right. and then we're going to read our lines of the exact same conversation. That's what it would feel like to me rereading a book. The mysteries thing, I've always had an intense aversion, intense aversion to beginning in childhood. Again, who knows? This might be an ADHD thing. But I cringe at the sound of... Nancy Drew Mysteries in my ear or Agatha Christie Mysteries. It just seems so banal. Like, let's do some workbooks. Let's do some coloring. Because you think it's a sort of a puzzle that the reader is supposed to work out as opposed to just enjoying the craft of storytelling. I don't know. That word mysteries just seems very dime store to me. Uh yeah, it, it is the, I mean, that genre is certainly like the Nancy Drew or Hardy Boys or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it does seem to be susceptible of that sort of thing, yeah. and also in that serial, you know, I very like mysteries. Oh, do you? Ew. Formulaic. We're not friends. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> friends. No, no. You Ooh. must know someone uh, who you know a fair number of people. I've seen your LinkedIn and Facebook. You know, tens of thousands of people. Uh, so you must know somebody who uh, really likes mysteries. Well, I know them, but that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, friends with well, them. Well, you must be. Uh, what I do like, because this isn't serialized, I do love historical fiction. So, for example, I loved Robert Hicks's novels. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think I was first turned on to historical fiction in college when I got that minor in Italian history and I was reading the stories of Garibaldi and how he unified the north and the south oh. of Italy. And you were the French, right? Didn't you read that in college? You're also? The Fr- See, yeah, yeah, yeah. he remembers the name of no, a book. No, is that, that the same I, thing? Or, yes. Oh, okay. All right. He, Michael remembers the name of a book that I read. That was a big book. I mean, I mean, in college, in a class large, he never even took. No, no. Your memory is unreal. No, that that, that book was uh, around. I mean, and he always people... goes, no, no. He always has a, a reason for it. Everyone has a reason for everything. <laughs> I hope because you're very brilliant and you have this crazy no, mind to remember I stuff. Remember, now, as soon yeah. as you said that, I could very clearly picture what the book looked like. It was yeah. red with yellow script oh, that said the year go. of the French, but I never would have been able to recall the name of that book. Really? Okay. Interesting. Just admit after all these decades that your mind no, is very good at that kind I, of stuff. I, I appreciate You're not going to admit it. Uh, I'm fine with facts and, uh, you know, relatively trivial information. The fact no. that, you know, we apparently have the title of the book, uh, it doesn't change, you know, your point. Uh, it was it was about historical fiction. So you don't need to know the title of the book. You don't need to know the author. It, it is what it is. Anyway, you had asked me before we turned on the mics. Well, if um, and we're going to get to Maggie uh, Shipstead and more in a second about plot lines. Yep. And then we brought up like, you know, Franzen, Charbon. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I'd love Franzen, Jonathan Franzen, for two reasons. One, he's just an exquisite 
wordsmith. Those man's, that man's sentences are a dream. Also, I don't necessarily crave complex or enjoy complex plot lines. In fact, maybe I have a trouble following them. But I do like complex emotional or psychological dynamics within the characters in the book. And that's, I think, mostly what Jonathan writes about. That's what these Maggie Shipstead books are about. Mm -hmm. It's about the complex, intricate relation, you know, flawed relationships within the characters. So the plot is just sort of the baseline through which these relationships evolve or devolve. Yep. That's the kind of book I like. So I guess in a way, that's sort of contemporary fiction. Now, it, 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 juxtaposing that to historical fiction, any any of these authors who I like, their their books are very relatable in that you, you could easily, any at some point, anybody could read this book and go, oh my God, that's my life, because they're very yeah. true to contemporary relationships. Well, that, I mean, that's one of the conceits of, you know, I guess not just uh, literature, but uh, art in general. Like that, people are people actually any different now than they were, you know, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, ten thousand years ago. I mean, in terms of uh, motivations or you know emotions or interactions with other people, um, I don't think so particularly, and I think that's one of the reasons that the, the historical fiction thing. I think often works with people. First of all, it's kind of a, it's sort of a lazy, well, I, I can't say lazy. That sounds very negative. I, I don't appreciate that authors have to, you know, create this fiction around actual people and actual events. Um, and especially since they're kind of, you know, trading on what people might know of that particular period in history or whatever. And it's like, oh, you know, uh, I know, I know who Napoleon was or whatever, or I know who, who's another good <laughs> historical figure. There's a lot of them. Um, and so I, I don't like that they're sort of using that as a cheap, it's like, Hey, you know, you can get into this cause you know who, you know, Bluebeard the pirate was, or was but do you really know Bluebeard and do you know Bluebeard? Now I'm going to tell you, you know, the stuff you didn't know about him. But of course, I'm not really telling you stuff you don't know about him because I'm just making it up because it's historical fiction. Um, but just to, to spin back quickly to something you said about uh, Franzen, the, uh, your appreciation of him as a wordsmith, that to me would argue for repeat reading. And I wonder if authors actually like people Presumably, they always want us to buy their next book. But wouldn't authors want to think that their work stands up to repeated uh, readings? And sure, you sure just it's just not something I appreciate do. The, yeah. um, I think often, especially with uh, something like Tolkien, people who read Tolkien often reread Tolkien, like even more than once a year kind of thing. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've... Uh, Christopher Lee, for example, is, is you know, reread Lord of the Rings many, 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 many times. And that, that's just, that's what you do. And it's not, I don't think, to um, go back to what you were saying, it's not like holding the same conversation uh, twice. Because, in fact, 
your you know gathering you know a greater appreciation um the the true richness of the experience is simply not perceptible the first time around mm. that's i mean presumably that's why you're listening to the albums more than once you missed something the first time mm-hmm. and even if you got it all the first time you're a different person when you go back and listen to it again in a sense so mm-hmm. it always becomes a, a new experience um i don't think anybody reads all the songs <laughs> in lord of the rings the first time they read it uh but eventually if you're hardcore tolkien yeah you read all the fucking poetry with it too even though it's kind of fruity uh but it's yeah you 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 really all in so doesn't that come from a different motivation though it isn't so much about enjoying the writing or the literature it comes from a completist obsession or fixation i think there is some of that but i think often the interest in and or compulsion to become the the completist has to do with the idea that if you're going to really understand tolkien you have to be in on the poetry and the songs also because that's really tolkien if you think tolkien is just you know peter jackson nonsense and big battles you're you know missing the point and i think it can be problematic when people want to you know imagine that they have some sort of a relationship with the artist or author or something but the idea that if you really love tolkien i don't think you would want tolkien to not approve of the way that you think you like his work. Um, if you're not in on the poetry and the music, you don't really like Tolkien. And he, he wouldn't approve of the way you're reading his work. Yeah. And no, I think according to Tolkien as well, I, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. So, uh, this Maggie Shipstead. Yep person wrote this book that I enjoyed Mags. chose completely randomly and so Kindle of course recommended another book that she wrote called Astonish Me and the summary of the book was uh, professional dancer and complicated marriage gives birth to a protege son well I'm in so it's sort of a combination of the turning point, you know, oh rival yeah. fem- okay. rival ba- ballerinas. One becomes a family. Uh, one, you know, moves to California and has a family. She's not as good of a dancer as her friend slash rival, who becomes this great star. Okay. Combined with a Nijinsky, not going to say the N word, narrative. <laughs> Story. I like that that's the N word in your mind. Yep. Storyline. Yep. Uh, famous, famous Russian dancer defects. So the other thing is that I am very gullible. I never see anything coming. And in this book, she has the son, the son and the little girl next door grow up studying ballet together. They both become quite good dancers. The son is better. And this woman who goes for the family life, her role in this thick tale is when the Nijinsky character named Arslan decides to defect. She provides the getaway car. 
So, and of course she's in love with him as everybody's in love with him and he's a straight male dancer. So like it's very complicated because she, you know, thinks that maybe he's in love with her too, but of course he's just has access to all of these women, including her. Yeah. So there's a, this emotional complexity there. But her husband, who's named Jacob, and this woman's named Joan, and isn't, isn't there S- Joan? Such a... It's like Beth, like my name, a very kind of monosyllabic, cold name. You don't like the word Beth? Or the name Beth? No, it's not fun Joan? to say. I just hate it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, there's another anyway. Number two for the podcast. She marries the boy that's been in love with her since they were children. She's never really loved him, but she's grown to love him. And he is a PhD. He's an intellectual. He's a professor at a school for gifted children. Their son is gifted, but he chooses a life of the body, not a life of the intellect, because he's this phenomenal ballet dancer. His mother has given birth to him, has trained him. She has produced from her body an exceptional ballet dancer, male ballet dancer. Da-da-da! Plot twist. Halfway through the book, or maybe two-thirds of the way through the book, it's revealed that the boy's father is actually the Russian dancer that she helped affect. I was so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Okay. But part of the reason you were surprised is because you weren't trying to figure out what might happen. Yeah. Yeah. And um, (laughs) anyway, it's a wonderful book. She's a wonderful writer. And and also she has a very, very deep understanding of ballet, of how a ballet company works, what the hierarchy is, what the names of the steps are. So she must have studied ballet herself. There's no way that anybody, unless she's like deeply, deeply researched it. Um, so I've actually, I've actually really enjoyed that too. Yeah. Getting deep into the lexicon in the world of, of a ballet company. Nice. Wonderful book. Okay. What's that one called? It's called Astonish Me, Astonish and it's by okay. Maggie Shipstead. And the other one is Seating Arrangements. Mm-hmm. Interesting. As in the seating arrangements for a wedding, or a life, as one might interpret it, or a family. Okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to contribute, Amazing? Uh <laughs> Not, and never contributing, uh, but always uh, questioning. Uh, so, um, Nijinsky is a choreographer primarily. So, oh, Michael, he's one. Of, uh, no, okay. he's, a da- he's a premier dancer. He's one of the world's and and history's greatest male ballet dancers of all time. Okay, I didn't know that he was a dancer so much as a choreographer. Okay, Michael, please stop embarrassing yourself. No, truly, I, I, I he did a little bit of choreography at the end of his career when he wasn't really dancing anymore, and he was a good choreographer. No, no, wait, no. Wait, are you talking famous. about Nure? Nureyev. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, I did it again. <sighs> well, that's well. First of all, Nijinsky's also a very famous dancer. I, Sorry, I, everyone. I meant to say Nureyev. Oh God. Okay, wait. So that's more or less who the book is about. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Nijinsky is also a very famous dancer, but he predates Nureyev. What, I was because he's hanging around with uh, um the Jackie Kennedy sister. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know Jackie Kennedy had a sister. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Rad Radvik Radovik. Patty and Selma. Yeah. Look up her name. Um, okay, no, but um, <coughs> so we should probably yes tell our um, devoted and uh, fan base what just happened there. What just happened is I wanted to make sure I understood what this was all about and the proper context, and um, to take it just to go a little bit. No, but the dynamic between yes. you and me, where I get really angry at you sure sure when i'm wrong well that's what just happened i there. thought i might yeah i thought that might be happening and then i was <laughs> trying to figure out how we could uh like the oscar wilde get thing. to the bottom of I think it that was sure that, that was a classic yeah this was the uh uh whoa or wow versus uh wild uh situation yep yeah yeah evelyn wow no no evelyn I don't know if it's whoa, wow, whatever. Whoa, wow, versus Oscar Wilde. Okay, so... I believe this was the... Uh, sorry, wait, who was it that wrote Brideshead? And, yeah, you exasperatedly answer... Oscar Wilde. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Everyone knows that, yeah. So this happens in my brain where... It, 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 it's kind of the same thing which we talked about earlier with the astronomy versus astrology thing yeah. or my block on birthdays and acronyms. It's all sort of wound up together in this giant tangle. Uh, if your name is Esme, I know your name is Esme, but if within a very short period of time I'm introduced to you and then say I read about or meet someone else named Este. There's a very high there's a very high chance that I will hear Esme in my head, but I'm saying or even writing Este and I don't see it. So, you know, Evelyn Wow, Oscar Wilde, they have kind of the same rhythm. There's a lot of vowels in there, the beginnings of their names. Yeah, in roughly equivalent, uh, it you know, broad sense, it's it's in the past and it's yeah. British or, yes. or, or yeah. Irish. <laughs> but, Same but thing, yeah, the Jinsky and Uriev, yeah. they both start okay. with S. And also always dancers. alliterative. It, it, also, yeah, or it very alliterative-esque. But I will get furious with Michael as this, like, smirk comes across no. his face that no. I am telling him, God, Michael, you're so dumb. Like, of course Oscar Wilde wrote Brideshead Revisited. And he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just happened now. Like, this whole entire time, in the back of my mind, although it's a bit too far back in the recesses, of course I know that it's Nureyev. But I'm saying and thinking Nijinsky. It's just so close right. One was on the Muppet Show and one wasn't. Yeah, so it's obviously so um, every, yeah. So I I instead of being embarrassed by this, I just I just laugh at myself because whenever it happens, it's Michael knows that it's happening when it's happening, and he lets it sort of like run for a while. But 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 the hope is the that hook. you know <laughs> I never do though. If you're pontificating, that the problem is that you really hope that you're among people who would say, wait a second, don't you mean you know this yeah. instead? Uh, because again, that doesn't change the substance, you know, of, of what you're saying. Um, there's, you know, you've just you misplaced uh, one word. It's an important word. <laughs> if people who aren't familiar with this are being exposed to it for the first time. Yeah. 
Um, Luckily, I don't really talk to anybody other than you, so it's fine. No, but, but um, well, suppose you had gone online and said, you know, I am loving this new book. A yeah, well, <laughs> you record a podcast that nobody listens to. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. But if you do your um, uh, Facebook posting about, you know, oh, loving this new book, you know, this uh, the one character is obviously standing for Nijinsky, uh, but whatever, I'm loving it or whatever. And then someone, I guess, in your group of friends would say, wait, it's I thought it was supposed to be whatever. Uh, it used Barishnikov to happen frequently or, when I was writing up reviews or tags or headlines. Uh, and when I was writing for Amazon Music, and it was mortifying because, of course, there's no forgiveness or understanding in that world. So I would frequently... Do that. In fact, I'm remembering one right now where I was just writing up a little teaser text for Paul Oakenfold, the, you know, seminal DJ. And producer. And producer. Yeah. But I wrote it. I wrote it as Paul, Paul Oakenfield. Right, right, right. right. And so that makes it seem like I don't know what this guy's name is. Like, why wouldn't somebody think that? Right. But that was just me doing my dumb thing. I used to do that all the time. Right. Oh, it was mortifying. Luckily, we had very kind and discreet copy editors and my copy editors were much nicer than your actual music editors, right? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, constantly I would do things like that. I just can't see it. Right. Uh, but just I always did, I always rely so on good. Honestly, where I was going with this, I mm. I didn't know that Anjinsky was particularly a, a dancer. I thought he was more a choreographer. In particular, I thought maybe even more than that, he was kind of an impresario slash shyster almost. Because isn't he the one? Uh, unless I'm confusing it, I I thought he kind of has like Stravinsky on a you know kind of stipend, but he's uh, sort of you know maybe not managing Stravinsky's uh, works as well as he could. I think you're maybe thinking of Diaghilev. Who I think I am thinking of Diaghilev, and he is um, an impresario on Shyster, right? Okay. Well, well, the strong words. Enterprising. I wouldn't say he was a Shyster. Okay. All right. Yes, but he's yes. Gotcha. He's certainly not an artist, though. Nijinsky no, no. He and was a, he was a promoter. He was a manager, right? Of, in in modern, um, yeah, Th that by modern job descriptions. That's yeah. Okay, so yeah. he's like your Cameron Macintosh type of he, your. He really wanted to bring the Ballet Russe to France, and he did. Uh, yep. Yeah. So indeed. Okay. Um, is that all we're gonna talk about today? Sure. All right. Sounds good. All right, get healthy. I'm going to see if I can get myself out of the foxhole of my, you know, memory foam mattress bed and two quilts and see if I can get myself under a shower head sure. before 5 o'clock this evening. All right. How we suffer. Funny. All right. Suffer constructively. Suffer constructively. We'll talk about suffer constructively another time. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Another woman that I would love to have on the podcast introduced me to Suffer Constructively. <coughs> to be continued. Excellent. All right.